0: God whose potential is yet to be known. There is no limit as to what God can do. So just keep on praying. He's listening to you. And prayer is just as big as God.
1: All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah chapter 26. Beginning verse one. Again, we've been in our series "Secrets of Successful Living." Last week, of course, we're dealing with how to experience perfect peace. We touched on a number of areas, of course, last week. Today, I want to close that uh, particular lesson out, and I'm going to do a little bit different. Years ago, um, a fellow by the name of Dr. Tom Malone, he used to he, he preached up in Pontiac, Michigan, and he had a, a church up there, and uh, he was a pretty uh, pretty popular preacher actually he spoke at a number of conferences matter of fact he was at the sword conference a number of years he preached on a number of different occasions i mean just in churches across the country and uh he, he built a, a a wonderful church had a bible college all those things again god used him in a mighty way and um, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard Tony Hudson. Well, he's been here before, some of you, and the men's conference. He'll talk about Tom Malone every once in a while. He even has his voice, you know, the Tom Malone voice and all of that. So he's a big guy, big named guy, and he had a big church, and God blessed his ministry and all of that. And he used to use what was called, um, <clears throat> let's see, um, overhead projectors on Wednesday nights. He'd use an overhead projector. I'm sure, I'm, listen, I'm, probably, I'm sure that in that day there were probably some preachers and some in the circle that would have said, man, he is a, he's getting liberal on us. Man, he's using that overhead projector, you know what I mean? That overhead projector, I mean to tell you, I mean, he's bringing in the devil. Now, I don't know, I, I can almost guarantee you somebody said that. Now, I don't, I don't know that for sure, but I could almost guarantee that because that's about how Baptists are, right? Don't do anything new or innovative or you're a liberal, Right? Okay, so anyway, and I'm not, listen, I'm I'm not talking about going off the deep end. Let's go ahead to, you know, and have a beer and learn about Jesus at the local bar. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm not talking about, you know, wearing dresses up to here, singing on stage. I'm not talking about singing, you know, Christian uh, contemporary music. And I'm not talking about deviating from the King James Bible. I'm I'm talking about using an overhead projector. Well, I'm not using an overhead projector tonight. I couldn't find ours. I I used to use the overhead projector. I couldn't find it. I mean, it's nowhere to be found in the building anymore. And uh, so I thought I'd use something that we call PowerPoint. Same thing, right? I just wanted to say that so that nobody thinks I'm a liberal in here. All right, so we're going to just do that just as a means by which to maybe get a little visual here and there along the way. It's really nothing big, but I just thought we'd spice it up a little bit with some overhead, with an overhead uh, projector, if you will. And uh, he used to have all those overlays. Uh, how many of you ever used the overhead and you could, just, you know, you'd put the overlay and the next overlay and the next one? We're not even going to do overlays tonight. We're going to keep it real simple. Just a single one for each point and we'll go from there. So, anyway, let's go ahead and read our. Okay, good. All right, very good. See, it just popped up there. The only problem is it has a mind of its own these days. And. Uh... I've got the clicker now, right? Thank you, brother, buddy. I appreciate that. We're all up there. We're going to talk tonight, really, when it's all said and done, the great condition that we may have perfect peace. What is that great condition? And we've already discussed it a little bit. We're going to close this out. And so before we do, let's go ahead and read in Isaiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass in the 11th year in the, oh, I'm an Ezekiel. That's not good, is it? Wow. How many of you were here the other night when Brother Rigo was looking for Nahum? <laughs> Sorry, Brother Rigo, I couldn't resist. I mean, better you look bad than me, right? <laughs> That's pretty bad, wasn't it? All right, somebody's over there taking me serious. They think I'm really trying to do that now. Okay, but anyway, Isaiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. Uh, I don't know, but I, it, that Nahum's a really small book. You ever notice there's one page to it, really? I mean, that's it. It's, it's, it that's a tricky one. That name's tricky. He, he hides out pretty good in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee now again we've uh, you know spoken about this quite a bit and this is one of the darkest periods of Israel's history and as a result of that we're going to see that if god can give a promise like this in the midst of such great darkness he certainly can give us and extend to us the same exact promise of peace perfect peace in the midst of darkness and we talked about that last week a little bit we said well how does this perfect peace come to us and we said well it was by jesus christ or by christ jesus and then we said by the holy ghost and then we even went on to say by his word and then by our obedience it's interesting isn't it i mean it's like the little course the song that the group just sang a moment ago just pray just pray just pray can i tell you something You can pray all day that your kids are raised in a Christian home, but if you don't stop watching the filth on the television, you don't stop uh, looking and doing things you shouldn't be doing in the home, you don't stop talking the way you shouldn't talk, I don't care how much you pray, you ain't going to raise a Christian kid. You got to do something too. Just pray is really not the whole truth. And in this case, we found that if you really want perfect peace, it's not enough to know Jesus Christ or to have him living in your life. It's not enough to have the Holy Spirit, I mean, really just uh, uh, driving that peace, conveying that peace to our hearts and our minds. It's not enough that we have the word of God available to us and extended to us. Our obedience is necessary too. And then finally, by plenty of praise and prayer. Plenty of praise and prayer, and we kind of closed down last week talking about Philippians chapter six, or chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and how the need for being thankful, for being grateful, for, for being, uh, to, to say thank you, Lord, even in the midst of difficult times, and we said that until we can say thank thank you, Lord, in a sense, we're not going to find the perfect peace that we're really seeking. And so anyway, we kind of come now to this last portion of this this particular emphasis, and Question is, or the, the point is the great condition that we may have perfect peace. You say, what is that one thing that must happen? Well, we've read it over and over again in these last couple of weeks, but we're going to focus more on it than ever today. It, notice again, he says in verse 3, and, and again, it's so, so imperative and important that we understand that we grab, grab hold of this. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on The, And again, I don't know that we can, you know, I think we do a disservice sometimes in one respect in the ministry. You know, there's 52 weeks a year, you know, and so 52 Sunday mornings and 52 Sunday mornings, I'll preach something different. And 52 Sunday nights, I'll preach something different. And 52 Wednesday nights, I'll preach something different. And so then you add those three up and it comes to 156 different messages over the course of a year on those three nights, and it'll be something different, something different, something different. And sometimes I think it goes, just like this. I'm not so sure that we couldn't take a passage like this and preach it for 10 solid services to finally get it through our thick skulls. I'm not convinced that we're getting it. I'm, I'm just not, okay? I know that there's times I don't get it. We talk about this, we talk about that, and we mention this, we mention that, and we all have a familiarity with all the basic fundamentals of the faith. And Sometimes when the pastor preaches, we say to ourselves, yeah, I, I know about that one. I've heard that one. Oh, I've studied that passage in a sense, or at least I've read it. But yet there's still a disconnect between the obedience and the understanding. I, I'm, repetition is the key to learning, right? Maybe it would do us better if we heard the same message ten times in a row. I know it helps when some evangelist or some, some other voice steps into the pulpit and says the exact same thing that the pastor does. I know that helps, that's for sure. I kind of think that this is such an important passage that it wouldn't hurt us to hear it over and over and over and over again. Now again, I'm not going to do that probably about the end of the sixth service, sixth Wednesday night in a row, hearing the same one, half of you wouldn't be here. You'd go, I've heard that six times. It's funny that D.L. Moody, he... uh, I'm kind of straying, I'm not even on the message, I know this, but uh, D.L. Moody, uh, years ago, he had met a preacher over in, uh, I believe it was in Europe, and uh, he said, if you ever get to the, the, the States, he says, make sure you look me up, I'll let you preach. We showed up at D.L. Moody's church, and it just happened to be on a time when D.L. Moody wasn't there. Well, D.L. Moody had already made the commitment, he had already told the fellow that he would let him preach, and so the young man got up and preached. Here's the thing, he preached out of the same passage every single night. Same passage. It's amazing the results that they saw, though. When he came back, he heard that the young man had been preaching for like almost three different nights, I believe it was, in a row, same exact passage, and he ended up turning around and turning the the young man loose and letting him preach even longer. Did such a fabulous job. Continued to expound on that one passage. Let me ask you a question. I'm just kind of curious. Does the word of God bore you? Has anybody ever got bored with salvation yet? I mean, are you bored with the gospel? Is there come a point in your life where you get tired of hearing the gospel? What's wrong with us? I've heard about, we hear about the cross all the time. We hear about the blood of Jesus all the time. Come on, can't you give us some deep stuff? I don't know if there's anything deeper. Again, I, I understand that there needs to be balance in the pulpit. I get all that. But I guess what I'm saying is is that whatever happened to just having a hunger for God and His Word? Well, we got to develop that, don't we? Let me ask you something. If you, could, if you could develop a hunger for anything in your child's life, like some of you parents are really big into health food, right? You, you're trying to do the right thing, right? You want your kid to grow up healthy. And so you, try to, you, you put in front of them all the time greens, you know, you're putting, you know, broccoli in front of them. Cauliflower in front of them. Trying to teach them to eat healthy, right? And You know what, I'm not knocking that. Man, I'll I tell you what, good for you. Teach them to eat the right things. Teach them to, why? Because if they'll eat the right things, then they'll grow, their body will grow strong, right? Be healthier for them, better for them in the long run. How much emphasis do we put on building a hunger for God in our children's lives. How, how much time have we spent trying to develop that hunger in their lives? How creative have we gotten in order to develop that hunger? We get real creative when they bring home homework. We try to talk them into doing their homework. We try to convince them it's important. And and teachers work really hard to try to give them, uh, at least if it's a good teacher, means by which to learn that's kind of fun and a little bit unique or different. How much time do we as parents invest in order to develop a hunger for God and His Word in the lives of our kids? Would we be more excited about our child wanting and desiring broccoli at dinner? than asking to read the Bible instead of watch TV? I'm just curious. Just some simple thoughts, just things that are on my heart as I pray, as I go through life. I'm just a little concerned about the status and the state of Christianity. Aren't you? You're here tonight. I think you are. I hope you are. The great condition, then. What is it? See, the answer to all of those issues or the point that that we're trying to bring out is all Christ, right? It's all about Him. It's all about focusing our attention on Him. Well, guess what? The great condition that we have that, that must be met in order to have this perfect peace is the exact same condition that virtually every single thing in our Christian life revolves around. It's Him, the Lord Jesus. Who is it that God will give perfect peace to? Who is it that He'll keep in perfect peace? The Bible says it's the one whose mind is stayed on thee or Him. I mean, this is the place of perfect peace. It's the source, if we will, if you will. When we keep our minds stayed, settled upon, established upon the Lord Himself, then we are kept in perfect peace. To be kept in perfect peace, then, is a matter of our mind. That's what the Bible says. It's a matter of our mind. You know, we like to talk a lot about the heart, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. I think we're going to find one day that the mind and heart are very closely related, if not exactly the same, in many ways. Now, there are some unique differences. I don't want to get into body, soul, spirit, and all of that stuff, but... I do want you to understand that that in this particular case, he emphasizes a word that I think often is missed in our lives. Mind. Mind. I think it's important that we recognize this. Now, I want to show you just a couple of things. Before we do, as we look at this, let's just talk about the mind for just a minute in scripture, and then we're going to make a Very brief application from the passage. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We ask for your leadership and love. We need you tonight. Bless us. Thank you for these that are gathered. What a blessing it is to see a group gathered to worship you, to to hear from you, and Lord, to ultimately apply your truths and have a heart to change the world for you. We need you, Lord. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so first of all, we think about the mind. The great condition that we may have perfect peace. Well, we're to love the Lord our God with what? All our what? Our mind. Now, somebody said, hey, listen, somebody said heart. And you know what? In the passage, it says heart. too. I get that. I do. But we we sometimes forget that part mind. Jesus saith unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Well, that's important to understand. Again, sometimes we devalue the mind, if you will. I mean, the Christian life's all about the heart. God's not concerned about the outside. He's only concerned about the heart. we got people saying things like that. And so we've, we've relegated the mind. It almost separated the mind from our bodies in a way. We look at our heart. We consider our body and actions. But what about the mind? Not only do we see here that in passage the Bible teaches us we're to love the Lord our God with all our mind, but it also goes on to tell us we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We know that passage over in Romans 12. And again, last year it was our theme. And we see over here, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind. How important is the mind in the Christian life? How valuable is a mind that is fixated and focused on the Lord Jesus Christ? The mind. That mind's under renewal. See that brain there? That's a brain. Yeah. That's Brother Mike with a hard hat. It's out in our parking lot on Sunday mornings. (laughs) We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then, number three. Notice this. The Bible teaches us that we can have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. That's interesting. Again, that he focuses our attention on the mind, not the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ. That's important. And notice the passage says, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I guess what he's saying this, you say, well, I don't think like God. It's not because you can't think like God, it's because you don't. Because he lives in you. See, this. let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let it be in you. That word let, that L-E-T is a major word in the Christian life. Let. When I think about letting someone into my life, let someone speak to me. Let someone go out with me. I'm permitting them. I'm giving them permission. Let this mind be in you. Allow this mind, permit this mind to be in you, the mind of Christ. When we think about a mind, we're thinking about thought, right? So what did Jesus think about? What did he focus his mind on? As he walked through the streets, what did he think about? When he looked at people, when he saw buildings, when he saw the world that he created, what did he think about? When he saw those people that were lepers, what did he think? When he saw those that were in, in bondage to demonic uh, uh, elements, what did he think? What did he think when he heard his disciples arguing amongst each other and, being, uh, you know, and, and bickering among one another, who would be greatest? What did he think? We like to think about feelings today. We talk about feelings all the time. How do you feel? I'm so concerned about how you feel. I'm worried about what she thinks, I mean, what she feels, what he feels. Well, what about what people think? Well, I'll tell you what if you start thinking right, you'll start feeling right. Because, see, God places a premium on the mind. You get the mind of Christ. Let me tell you something. You see that confidence level there? Skyrocketing to high. You're going to have a high confidence level in your ability to overcome sin. You have a high confidence level in your ability to walk and to live the Christian life. You have a high confidence level in your marriage and in your home and your family because you have his mind. You're thinking like him. You're focusing like him. You're doing what he does because when you think, it'll affect your actions. Not only that, but notice else, elsewhere uh, concerning the mind again. We are not to set our mind on earthly things, but what? On things above. Whose end is destruction? Whose God is their belly? And whose glory is in their shame? Who mind earthly things? Man, i tell you what, you want to mess up? You want to take the wrong steps? You want to make the, a bad decision? You want to go the wrong direction? Then listen, don't. Don't, allow, don't think about the right things. I mean, don't allow yourself to focus on eternity. Focus on the present. Focus on the now. Think about only today. Think about only tomorrow. Right here, right now, where you're at. And if you'll do that, the devil will win a great victory in your life, in your family, your marriage, in your home. When we talked about that little course we sang today Lord lead me to some soul today you want to know something that is not the prayer of someone that thinks immediately that's someone that thinks about eternity if the devil can get our minds focused on the now the here and now he wins he wins you just don't understand my finances. i got to focus all my time, all my energy, all my effort on my finances. You don't know my situation right now in my marriage. I've got to focus all my energy, all my time, all my effort into my marriage. You don't understand. My children are crazy. I've got to deal with them constantly. I never have any time for myself. It's always my kids, always my kids, always my kids. Okay? Then you don't have time to think eternally. And guess what? The devil's won. He, won- he has won the battle. If I could demonstrate, uh, he, he, he's like, you're like this right here. You're like this, this, this bottle of water. When you start thinking about only the temporal things, only these things on the earth today, guess what? Uh, the, he, the devil just takes you and goes, you're on a shelf now. You can't do anything there. Gotcha. As long as that's how you're thinking, as long as that's all that you can focus on, guess what? I got you. You're just going to sit idle then. You'll do absolutely nothing for God in eternity. And boy, let me tell you something. You want to talk about a secret to success in your children's lives? It's not this right here, I promise you that. That won't get it done. Take them to church three times a week, but if you're doing this, that'll speak more volumes than any pastor can, any youth director can, any Sunday school teacher. The devil's good about getting our minds onto the temporal instead of the eternal. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And you say, that's your heart. Yeah? Well, let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but what's in here I always think about. It's a mind thing. It's a mind thing. Finally, we are instructed to think or focus our minds on certain things. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Think on these things. Amen. Think on these things. You know, there are some things, if, if we're supposed to think on those things, then can anybody, can anybody could anybody share some things you shouldn't think about then? I guess what I'm saying is, let's make it real simple. If if that 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 is the, the litmus test to proper thinking in the Christian life, then anything that doesn't fall into those categories then is improper thinking. I mean, am I am I stretching it? Am I am I creating something that doesn't exist? I mean, if it if it's not something that is. Uh, um, true or honest or just or pure or lovely or of good report or if there be any virtue or praise, if, there's, if it's not included in what we're thinking, then can I say with all authority and confidence that what I'm thinking then is not pleasing to God? Can I say that? Can I come to that conclusion if I'm not focusing and thinking on the things that he tells me to focus and think about? Can I, can I come to the conclusion that I'm not properly thinking? I think I can. I think it's pretty clear. Honestly, if we would memorize that scripture or carry it around in our pocket, and the next time somebody comes to us at work and says, Did you hear about so and so? And you'd go, Hmm, let's see, is it true? Uh, is it honest? What's being said? Uh, is it just? Are we treating them with fairness? Uh, if that was me, would I want them to be talking about me right now? Is that fair? Is it just? Uh, is that pure? Is it really pure? Is it, gonna, is it lovely what we're discussing right now? Is it, is it um, a, a good report? Is it a virtue? Is there praise involved in it? I'm just saying, would it, wouldn't it be easy to start? Well, sorry, I can't think about that. If I can't think about it, let me ask you something. How much do we talk about that we shouldn't talk about if we base it on it's going to cause me to think the way I think? See, I don't know about you, but when I hear things or see things, it changes what I think about. Does it change? Let me ask you something. When you walk through the mall and somebody walks up to you trying to sell you something, immediately your attention's diverted to them. And if you want nothing to do with them, it's forced you to think about what decision will I make? No, I don't want to talk to you about that. No, I'm not interested in your hair care product. And I can honestly say that. I mean, you have to think. You know what I mean? You, it focuses your attention because what you hear, somebody's talking to you, asking you a question, it forces you to think in that direction. Everything we see, everything we hear is going to affect what we, what we think about. So what are you listening to? Does it ultimately cause you to think those things? Or does it change you're thinking to something that doesn't please God. The mind. See how important the mind is in the Christian life. It's so paramount. It's so important. Finally, we come to the thought then. Again, the Christian life is not some mundane or robotic, robotic, robotic life of mindless activity. That is not the Christian life. You know, people have gotten the idea through the years because, you know, especially fundamental independent Baptists, you know, we, you guys live in the dark ages, right? I mean, look how you dress. Look how you act. You don't go to movies. You don't do all the stuff that the world does. I mean, back in the day, they didn't even wear wire rim glasses because John Lennon wore them because they didn't want to adhere to the trends and the, the, the things of the day. And someone says, well, now we're, very, we're much further advanced than they were back then because we believe in grace now. They were probably pretty wise not to adopt the worldly f- uh, fads and traditions. We're embracing everything today. We do everything the world does. And, you know, we just throw a, a, a G on the thing and say, see, grace. That get, that, there's my stamp of approval, grace. Uh, well, I know I'm a little bit questionable what I'm listening to, but grace. I know I'm questionable what I'm wearing, but grace i know my attitude's not quite exactly maybe what it should be or maybe i'm struggling with it and i'm not really convinced that it's the right attitude but grace we throw grace on everything today and it's supposed to make it's kind of like it's kind of like putting uh ranch on stuff doesn't even have to t- taste good but you throw the ranch on and all of a sudden it's it's edible man you can suck it down boy it's like mm, that's good you know and that's what we do it's not tasting too good but throw a little grace on it mm, that makes it palatable that's all right that's something. We do that spiritually speaking. But the, the Christian life is all about thinking, and, and where, the, uh, you know, where we set our mind is essential in our walk before the Lord. The thought life is, is where the real battle of the Christian life is fought. Do you realize that? I mean, the thought life is where the real warfare takes place. This is where battles are won and lost in the mind. And if you and I hope to experience this perfect peace periodically or especially consistently in our life, then our minds must be stayed on the Lord. If our mind is stayed on ourselves, if it's stayed on our problems, if it's stayed on problem people in our lives or anything else, we are going to void ourselves of perfect peace. Satan loves to get our mind on anything except the Lord. Anything except him here's the danger. In the class I teach, I teach singles. You know what the danger is? Is that our singles get the idea that the, the person or the thing that's going to solve all their problems and really fulfill their life dreams and make them complete and whole is a wife or a husband. Nope. I'm not saying it's not a wonderful thing if you find, and I listen, this find the right one thing, joke. Eh, 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 eh. Wrong. Find the right one. It's about as stupid as falling in falling in love. Can I tell you something? I'm not gonna tell you, because you wouldn't <laughs> believe me anyway. Let me just say this. I could marry somebody that doesn't even Do you realize, listen to this. Do you realize that arranged marriages have a six percent failure rate? Divorce rate, 6%. And we know what America's is already, right, in the United States, over 50, a little hair over 50 right now. It's actually a little under 50 if you take first-time marriages, second-time marriages increase dramatically, and then third-time marriages even more than that. Now, now listen, why is it that two people that don't even know each other, or don't love each other, can make a go of marriage in other countries and other cultures? But we in America supposedly fallen to love. We found the perfect mate. And God led us to them, at least until they don't do what we want them to. I'll tell you why. Because we're too emotional. We're not handling things biblically and scripturally. We're doing it all with our heart. I'll tell you something. You better get your mind in order. You and I better get our minds in order, and we better align our minds with his mind. Better start thinking like he thinks. Let me tell you something. You know what won't fix your marriage? A getaway where the two of you drink a glass of wine together at dinner. just thought I'd throw that in. I don't know if anybody does that, but I thought we better deal with it. Because you know what I'm finding? Churches today are endorsing drinking. I mean, I'm talking about Baptist churches that have Baptists on the doors. There are churches that are saying, "Well, we're not going to tell people not to drink wine. Jesus drank it." Are you kidding me? We wonder why abortions become so off the charts today. We've allowed standards like that and the Word of God to slip and to continually everything's a gray area today. Unfortunately, now abortion is a gray area in many churches. Everything becomes a gray area if we don't think the way he thinks. If we take our mind and our eyes off of him. Listen, I never want to hurt any one person. I always want to make everyone feel good. I like to be accepted and loved, and I want everyone to feel accepted and loved. So if it's just simply your feelings that I'm going to be concerned about, then I will change. I will be a chameleon. And when I'm with you, I want to please you. So I'll probably say what you want to hear. But if I'm going to maintain the mind of Christ and I want to please him more than anyone else, then all of a sudden what you think, as much as important as it is how you feel, if, he, if what he thinks is more important to me and how he feels is more important, then I'm going to have to maintain his position yeah. with a loving heart. And I'm going to have to, I'll, I'll say it, as lovingly as I can, as kind as I can, but I'm not going to compromise on that and I'm not going to turn what he says is black and white, so to speak, what he says is simply right or wrong, what he says is good or evil, I'm not turning it into gray. But we're doing that today, aren't we? The mind. Notice up in the passage here. In Isaiah chapter 26, Three again. Notice it says, "Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on Thee, because he trusteth in Thee." In chapter twenty-six, verse three, we're going to note something very important. There's Thou at the beginning. There's Thee at the end. They both point to who? God. Do you know what the secret to perfect peace is? Getting between the Thou and the Thee. Good. Putting him behind us and before us, so that whether whatever direction we look. Behind or a forward, it's him we see. Because I'm going to tell you something David could face Goliath with confidence, not because he thought, not because he said, Man, I took out a lion, I took out a bear, I am a bad dude. No, he told us why he had the confidence he had. Because he was fighting in the name of the Lord, and he said, The Lord will deliver you into my hand. The God of Israel will deliver you into my hand. See, he wasn't looking at a giant that day. He was looking at God. And you know what? When you put God at the back and the front, and you're traveling this road of life, you can only look forward or back. You say, I'm going to look to the left or right. Eh, I'm not talking about that. Just help me with the image for a minute, okay? You're either looking back or you're looking forward. And we know that the Bible tells us in Philippians we need to be careful with that looking back thing. But if you put God back there and he says, guess what? It's under the blood, friend. You look back and guess what? You still have peace about your past. Because all you see is him in it. And you don't have to focus on it anymore because it's only him. And you go, hey, I'm glad you're there. And then you look forward in your life. And guess what? You're not afraid anymore. We're not so anxious all the time. We're not worried about what tomorrow holds because he's there. That's the answer to perfect peace. So we have to get into the. You got to get in the middle. In this passage, we have to drop right in there by faith, believing that God is there. It the Thou and the Thee get right in between, and whether we look back or look forward, it doesn't matter. He's there. That's where perfect peace comes from. It's a mind that stayed on Him. I think about Him. Morning, noon, night. I think about him when I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm always thinking about him. I can't get him off my mind. Perfect peace then. The problem is that's not how we think. And if we don't think that way, we don't have to ask, why can't I find peace? We never have to ask that question in the Christian life. It's always the same answer because I'm allowing something to stand between me and him. I can't see him. I see the problem. That's the real reason why we struggle with peace. And We can go ahead and dress it up any way we want and say, you just don't understand what I'm going through. If you were doing what I was, you wouldn't have peace. And I might say, you you might be right. If I was going through what you are, maybe I would see the problem bigger than him too. I don't know. I'm not going to say I wouldn't. I'm going to tell you, I've been through a few things and I know for a fact that I have not let God be big enough in my life at times. And I have worried and I have fretted and I have been a mess in my heart, my life. I know what it is to lay awake at night and have a a sick feeling in my stomach and feel like throwing up and have an ominous feeling that I might just die at that moment. I know a little bit about those feelings, whether they were warranted or not. I've had them. Why? Because at times in my life, just like you probably, I wasn't in between. I'd gotten my mind somewhere else instead of on Him. And when we get our minds on anyone or anything other than Him, we're going to forfeit perfect peace. That's just how is. It doesn't matter whether you're a preacher whether you're brand new to the Christian faith, whether you've been at it 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a bus worker, if you get your mind anywhere else but Him, you're going to find that the worries are going to come and you're going to struggle with peace in your life. It's true for all of us. Don't ever have an excuse for no peace in your life. Don't let the fact that others would feel the way you feel keep you from focusing on the one that can take away that feeling. Let's focus on him. Let's do our best with God's help. Let's use the grace for that, to focus on him each and every day of our lives and know what perfect peace is. I'm going a little over tonight only because I know the nursery workers really appreciate it. When, and I'm just going to close with this illustration. It's too good not to give it out. When Frances Havergall was vacationing in the south of Wales in 1876, she caught a severe cold. Unfortunately, along with that cold was inflammation in the lungs. Hearing how ill she was and that she might die, she made the statement, if I'm, re- if I'm really going... It's too good to be true. If I'm really going, meaning dying, it's too good to be true. Her friends were amazed at how peaceful she received that information. They couldn't believe it. But you know, she did survive that illness. And later that year, she wrote the hymn, Like a River Glorious. In that particular hymn, she pointed to the source of her perfect peace. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace Over all victorious In its bright increase Perfect yet it floweth Fuller every day Perfect yet it groweth Deeper all the way, stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed, finding as He promised, perfect peace and rest. May we stay our minds on Him. And thus experience perfect peace. Father, we come to you, thank you again for this time we've had. and Lord, may you be with those workers in the nursery, Lord. we did go over, and uh, it is hard on them, and I just pray you'd be with them. be with us now and use.